Open your Bibles with me. I will not detain you long, but turn to the minor prophet of Amos. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Amos. Joel, Amos. Amos chapter 8. I want to give you the doctrine and then the application as quickly as I reasonably can of what I introduced in an unusual way by speaking as a fool this morning. I hope that all of you are aware enough, and it's a sufficient awareness, that if we were to do the things I described and more besides them, we would easily have a church of thousands. And you would leave an assembly if we rocked the place like we're capable of rocking it, thinking that you had been in the Spirit like you had never been in the Spirit, and that you would worship Jesus better than ever before. Because that's the feelings that they have when they leave those places of entertainment. I punched in contemporary Christianity into a Google search box, and I read with interest the seven-page single-spaced outline that popped up and thought to myself that someone surely put together a lot of effort in defining what contemporary Christianity is and then condemning it with a Bible. And I thank God for our website and I thank God for the witty invention of being able to take a sermon outline from July of 2000 and having it the number one result in Google's empire when you punch in contemporary Christianity. And I recommend it to you as some pleasant reading. I remember preaching that sermon 11 years ago, and I remember the poor Bob Jones family who made their way in here in the second service that we never saw again, and I I don't blame them. What they heard in that sermon took a garden hose and sprayed on most of what they do in their churches. But it was the Word of God that we were using. Here's the doctrine. We are warned by clear prophecy of this horrible compromise that's going to take place. And I'm not going to turn you again to my favorite passage of which I am very convicted, and which I hope you will never forget, and that is the prophecy of 22 verses in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, 5 of the perilous times of the last days. That is our mandate. That is our warning. That is our situation. That is our charge from the God of heaven. It is mine for you, through you, to you, and with you that we live in those perilous times in the purest form of their practice and the fulfillment of that prophecy. I am so tired of those that write me wanting to know about the 144,000 in the book of Revelation. If I were able, or if I chose, to give the perfect explanation, it would not help you worship God any more perfectly. But if I give you those 22 verses in 2 Timothy 3, one through four, five, there is a pile of matter there on how you can worship God more perfectly. And it is a warning of your neighbors. 
your friends and your relatives that do not worship by the standard measure of God's word. The doctrine begins with that we have been clearly warned by prophecy that such a declension, decline, compromise, and degeneration of the worship of God would occur. I want to give you one of the examples. Amos chapter 8 and verse 11. You've heard these verses before, but not all of you have heard them before. And you younger men, I want you to remember these verses. That's why we repeat things. Amos 8.11, Behold, the days come. It sounds like 2 Timothy 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, is how that passage starts. Behold, in Amos 8.11, The days come, saith the Lord God, that I, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. This comes from God. It's God's judgment. When His kingdom, His church, His people forsake his word and bring in inventions and modifications and compromise his glorious truth, he will send them a famine so that there is no vision in the land like there was was no vision in the days of Eli until Samuel came along. And then with Samuel, the word of the Lord came back into Israel. This is a prophecy. So we want to realize that we've been warned. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 30 with me. Isaiah chapter 30. This is not merely a natural phenomenon. It is a supernatural. The Lord is blinding those who call upon His name because they're not keeping His commandments. And they made that decision in the past... It may have been in some small point. It may have been in several small points. But now it's in many large points. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 8. Now go. God speaking to Isaiah. Write it before them in a table and note it in a book. That it may be for the time to come forever and ever. That this is a rebellious people. He isn't speaking of Egyptians, Phoenicians, Babylonians, or Philistines. He's speaking of his own people. This is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, let's call them preachers, see not, don't preach. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get you out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. It's because the people of God make the preaching of the Word of God out of season. We don't want that anymore. We want the smiling face and syrupy words of Joel Osteen. We do not want to hear the word of the Lord that is telling us He's going to judge us. Now get out of our way because we are going to go forward with life 
as we have planned it for ourselves. Stop bringing that horrible, fire-breathing, judgment, judgmental, critical, jealous God before us. We don't want to hear about Him anymore. Tell us that we're the people of God, that we should get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, Good morning, beautiful. Like Robert Schuller would. Get rid of that harsh approach to God's Word and give us smooth things. Wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and stay thereon, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. And he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces he shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the bursting of it assured to take fire from the earth, or to take water with all out of the pit. There won't even be a big enough fragment to carry fire or water when God gets done because He'll smash them into pieces. And this is to the people of God, and it's a warning to us, my children and children, this is why we assemble here and have not joined ourselves to one of the other churches in Greenville County. God has warned us against such confederacies and associations. Look at 1 Kings 22. And it's a shame that Micaiah or Micaiah is not here. 1 Kings 22. He got sick this morning. Ahab and Jehoshaphat are sitting side by side, preparing to go to battle together. And Jehoshaphat says, I really don't like these 200 or these 400 prophets of yours. I'd like one of the Lord Jehovah. And Ahab said, well, there's only one and I don't like him. He never says anything good about me. You know, if you want to be a popular preacher, be an accountant. You understand what I'm saying? I have one, but I don't like him. He never says anything good about me. Well, the 400 are jumping up and down and telling Ahab that God's going to be with him. The Lord Jehovah is going to be with him. He's going to go to battle and he's going to have a great victory. And so they send messengers to go find Micaiah, the prophet of the Lord Jehovah of Israel. And they told him, the ministerial association is saying good things about Ahab. And we want you to know right now that that's what you better say when you go in there. Verse 13, the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Now we're all unified. This is the United Nations of Preachers. This is the Ministerial Association. One mouth, let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. Let's have a positive message. I know I'm not a positive preacher all the time. God save me, or destroy me, if I was. And Micaiah said in verse 14, and don't you love the man? You better make him live up to that name. You pick that name, father back there. You help that boy live up to this name. Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. And he wasn't quite like Balaam. <laughs> Micaiah was not Balaam. Micaiah stuck to his word and Ahab didn't come home alive from that battle. Even though he made every strategic effort to save his life. Look at Jeremiah chapter 6. 
Jeremiah 6. Here's these false teachers. Notice the emphasis on saying something good about people. When I go to church, I want to feel good when I leave, they say. I want to feel good about being in the house of the Lord. Well, if you're living in sin, you shouldn't go home feeling good. And if there's sin all around us, we should hear about it and be warned about it. The problem with the prophets and preachers and princes and priests of Judah in the days of Jeremiah and Ezekiel are this. And there's many verses. I'll just use one. Jeremiah 6.14, They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace. When there is no peace. The Lord had sent His real prophets and put a hurting on them. Jeremiah and Ezekiel put a hurting on them. But the false teachers try to smooth it all over. It's called daubing them with untempered mortar. It's called sewing pillows to every armhole. You can go read about the prophetesses in Ezekiel chapter 22 and 13. And Jeremiah chapter 23, they have a message of peace. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, as one of his statements, Think not that I came to bring peace on earth. I came not to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. He has made peace between God and us. And he has called us in this house to live in peace. But if we choose to live in this house in peace with each other and in peace with God, it will cause war with our relatives, our neighbors and our friends. Because the way of God is very different from the way of this world. And the religion of God is very different from their religion. And the Christianity of the Bible is very different from the Christianity that they are throwing at us today. There is much more that could be said And maybe at some other time it will be said. But that's the warning. And there are many other scriptures that I am passing over of the prophecies of the perilous times that we live in. They have happened before. The symptoms are very similar. And the approach to preaching is the same. Preaching good things, kind things, flattering things, smooth things. Healing the hurt of my people when there ought to be a hurt put on them. The work of preachers is negative work. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Someone might say, and you wouldn't be altogether wrong, well then you're a natural fit for the ministry. So I tell you about one other nickname I had. in a financial institution up north, and that was Little Hitler. Because when it came to financial analysis, if your department wasn't making money, then you needed to be at Michigan's Employment Security Commission. And I didn't know any better. I was just young. I thought we were in this to make money, not make friends. So the name was Little Hitler, and I had a mustache to match it. And I only say that because 
as you're turning to the passage, I want you to understand what the Bible says. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.3, For though we walk in the flesh, we have our fleshly existence. We do not war after the flesh. Our ministry, our preaching, is not after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You know, we're not like Muslims or Roman Catholics that try to force conversion at the point of a scimitar or at a stake with wood piled up at your feet. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but still, they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The metaphors here are describing a fortress, a citadel, that has strong, inbred, established habits and traditions. But our warfare pulls down those strongholds because we cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringeth every bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We are making war with your strongholds, and we will climb the walls and pull the place down until we bring every one of your thoughts into captivity to the Word of God and the orders of the Lord Jesus Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Once we get you converted, we are going to be ready to jump on you with vengeance and revenge if you turn away from the truth. This is serious business of ministers of the gospel. True ministers are not like Joel and his wife. True ministers are like Paul and his son, Timothy. Jesus said, the world's hated me before you, and they're never going to hate you as much as they've hated me because I testify against them. John 7 and verse 7. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10. And I thank the Lord for this text. In recent days, being able to reflect and ask the Lord, why I have to be hard when some of Joel might be good. And if you haven't watched Joel, you've missed something. You know, when the Bible says smooth things, do you even know what that means? Can you, can you conjure up an idea of a man in a pulpit telling you smooth things? There's no smoother operator than Joel Osteen out of Houston, Texas. I, I've never seen one smoother than Joel. I mean, the honey and maple syrup is just running down that boy all the way down. There's 30,000 people there just lapping it up. I know where I'm treading. I'm treading in the same place that Jesus and Paul trod. They have another Jesus and another gospel and another spirit, and it's scary and it's angering. Look at Jeremiah. Thank you, Lord, for this text in the last two weeks. Verse 9 says, After the Lord put forth His hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth, the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down. To build and to plant. Men have told me over the years that I need to be balanced. 
Amen. I want this balance right here. How do you balance four to two? That means in three Sundays, you're going to get two Sundays of rooting out, pulling down, destroying, and throwing down. And one Sunday, you're going to get to build and to plant. And you say, well, you ain't Jeremiah. No, but we're living in the perilous times of the last days when the ministry of Jeremiah is necessary and needed. Right, Look at this. These are the men of God. Does Joel fit that verse? He doesn't even build and plant. He entertains. He's running a business empire. And he's very, very good at it. The Lord Jesus Christ was doing some rooting out and pulling down and destroying and throwing down when he was tearing into Pharisee doctrine and hypocrisy by saying, it's not that which goeth into a man that defiles him, but that which cometh out of a man. And the disciples pulled him aside and said, Lord, that kind of talk isn't very acceptable in public circles. And the Pharisees were offended by you describing coming out of a man. And could you... you they be blind, leaders of the blind. They be plants that my heavenly Father is going to root up. Let them alone. Right. Let them all fall into the ditch. That is what the true Jesus of the Bible would say. Amen. He does not care if you are offended. Jesus often offended his audiences. Go read John chapter 6. When he starts describing eating the bread that cometh down from heaven. And the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And except ye eat my flesh and drink my blood, ye have no life in you. Now that's a pretty hard saying, isn't it? Relatively speaking. And they came and told him, don't you know that this is a hard saying? He said, I, didn't I already tell you? That except the Father which hath sent me draw a person, they cannot come to me? Listen, what if I were to ascend right now up into heaven where I was before? Would that help anything? I've told you, and I repeat it now, that no one can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Right. From that time forth, many of his disciples went away and followed him no more. And did Jesus chase them? No, he turned to his twelve and said, Will ye go away also? That's a different kind of an invitation than most give. Our purpose and my goal is not to be negative, not to be destructive, critical, condemning, beyond Scripture. But I don't want to come short of it or I'm like Balaam. I have no power to go beyond or to come short. I must preach what's here in the Bible. And it tells me, what kind of a minister we ought to have. Amen. Do you love the Sermon on the Mount? Have you ever seriously measured the Sermon on the Mount that the entire thing from beginning to end is a blast against established conservative Jewish religion? That's right. From beginning to end. In the end, he's describing them as building their house on sand. In the beginning, he's telling everyone there, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. And everything in between is just, but I say unto you, 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 
And when he got to the end, they all were astonished and marveled because he spake as one having authority. He was sick of the maple syrup honey approach. And so were the people. And the people gladly heard him, the Bible tells us. Jesus was offensive and divisive. And think just about his cousin. What pulpit manner did he have? What custom tailor did he go to for his suits? I speak of John the Baptist. Paul was despicable and rude, contemptible in appearance. The Bible says about him, and he admits about himself, and he was an isolationist and a separatist. But he is the beloved apostle of the Gentiles, and we want to be just like him. The next point, few are going to hear and respond. Few care, so we're always going to be small. I'm thankful for the little woman that God gave me to comfort me the last couple of weeks. God's ministers are not popular, but Satan's ministers always will be. That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to the Lord. Woe unto you when they speak well of you, for so spake they of the false prophets that were before you. That's in Luke 6 and Luke 16. We don't measure our godliness by gain because we are specifically told in 1 Timothy 6, 3-5, through 5, that false teachers do that and we are not to do that. We are to measure our gain by godliness with contentment. Isn't that a difference? Yes. So, the goal for our church is godliness with contentment and that is a growing church because we're growing in godliness and contentment. We don't care about the numbers because they look at that gain in numbers as godliness. That God must be with them because look at how fast we're growing. See, there's a people, there's people attacking New Spring in Anderson. And they have their blogs and they have their YouTube clips. And the guy that runs that operation down there, I, I don't want to use the six letter P word, please. It just doesn't fit. But the guy down there that leads the rock band and and does the yapping, his answer to them all, go watch it. I have. Sorry. What is his answer to it all? It's never the Word of God. It's, look at the parking lot. Nuff said. Gain is godliness. The Bible teaches us differently. How many should the greatest preacher ever have, ever have after three and a half years? How many were in the upper room committed to him? 120, Acts chapter 1. What's the biggest crowd he ever, now just slow down. What's the biggest assembly he ever preached to after rising from the dead? 500. Somewhere between 500 and 600, or the Holy Spirit would have said 600. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. That's the most the Lord Jesus Christ ever drew after rising from the dead. After three and a half years of ministry with healing miracles of all kinds, after perfect preaching and after dying on the cross, after an earthquake that tore stones and opened tombs. Thank you, Lord. And I'm sorry that the Lord didn't have millions. 
But it seemed good in thy sight, O Lord, to only open the eyes of a few prostitutes and tax collectors, fishermen and others. That's his choice. How many should a great preacher of righteousness have after preaching 120 years? Eight. And how of those church members, how many are suspect? Seven. Is that comfort comforting? But my wife laid one on me. And it's so it's so simple. I just had never thought of it before. Who is the greatest pastor? Be careful. The Bible tells us. Of the Old Testament. Who is the greatest servant of the house of the Lord in the Old Testament? Moses. Who said it? (laughs) How big was Moses' church? Joshua and Caleb. The Lord killed all the rest of them. Thank you, wife. She had me singing. Well, we're better than Moses. Isn't that the truth? They were, that, that church was so rebellious, so stiff-necked, God killed them all except two. God will preserve His elect remnant by grace. Just hold on to Romans chapter 11. So then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And that is said in the New Testament in comparison to the days of Elijah. When Elijah thought he was all alone, and he sat down and basically told the Lord to take him out, and the Lord said, I still have my 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to the image of Baal. And we're thankful for that hope that there is a remnant and we want to serve them the best we can. It's not going to get better, brethren. I'm giving you the doctrine of the lesson. Second Timothy 3.13 says, Evil seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Amen. It's going to get worse. We don't agree with the post-millennialists that God is going to usher in some glorious kingdom and we're going to progress toward it with the help of the Presbyterians. Sorry, it's going to get worse and worse because that's what the Bible says. Amen. There will be far more compromises, compromisers than saints without the spiritual eyes to see angels in the general assembly. But I want you to know as we talk about being small, like Noah and like our Lord, And like Moses, that we need to remember if it helps you, and it is scriptural, and it is how the Apostle Paul encouraged the Hebrews to whom he wrote, that we have come unto Mount Zion, where there is an innumerable company of angels and the spirits of just men made perfect. We are part of the largest church. And I don't say that to defend anything that I preach Because I preach what the Bible says, but let's remember that. And that great cloud of witnesses that was mentioned by a letter read in this pulpit is true. And they're watching, and they're waiting, and the Lord can't come. Not because we haven't preached the gospel throughout the whole world, as Matthew 24 and 14, but the Lord can't come until the last of His brethren have laid down their lives, then he will come in vengeance. Right. Till then, 
He is showing His long-suffering, not willing that any of the elect should perish, because after all, that is what Second Peter is written to, and so is First Peter. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the message today to us is not just about them outside our walls, but to each of us, have we repented of all the things that don't line up with God's Word? And are we conforming our lives to the image of Jesus Christ? Otherwise, to speak it or to hear what I'm preaching brings us under the great judgment of hypocrisy, and God hates hypocrites. He wishes we were either cold or hot. He would rather have us cold or hot, but not lukewarm in the middle, professing one things with our lips, but not living it with our lives. If you choose the old paths of right and truth, you're going to be persecuted. And that warning of the perilous times, it says, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If you don't have any persecution in your life, then you've got to ask yourself if you have fulfilled the condition of that verse of living godly in Christ Jesus. Judgment is coming, for Jesus Christ will destroy corruptors of His churches. Ministers today promise peace with their compromise and inventions. Hiding Cain, Moses, Nadab, Abihu, Uzzah, Saul, and Isaiah from the people and lulling them to sleep. When I mention that string of names, do you know what I'm referring to? I'm referring to those minor compromises and modifications they made of God's Word, and it cost them their lives in one way or another. Because God does care about the details. We must earnestly... Contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Have you read the severe warnings of Jesus to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3? The Lord Jesus Christ, they go into Revelation 2 and 3 and pull a picture out of John Lennon or Charles Manson, I can't tell which one he looks the most like, standing at some door begging to get in. But when you go read what the Spirit has to say to the seven churches, it is terrifying. You have them there in Thyatira that are following that prophetess Jezebel who teach my people to commit fornication. I'm going to throw them all into a bed and those that commit adultery with them and destroy them and you'll know who the Lord of these churches are. Second Timothy chapter 3 says, As Janus and Jambres were shown that they did not have the power of God, so the ministries of all these men will be, made to, will be shown to be of none effect. No power. No fruit of the sort that God measures in His Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said, Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, and that foundation is Christ Jesus. There are those that add wood, hay, and stubble to that, and there are others that add precious stones and jewels and gold and silver to it, but every man's work shall be made manifest. And then he said, Ye are the temple of the living God, And him that destroys or corrupts the temple of the living God, God will destroy him. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. That judgment is coming. What is our duty? We need to hold fast the apostolic doctrine and tradition without altering it at all. Let's continue in the things the Lord has shown us. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 15, Thou hast known my doctrine. He just explains it and says, Continue in the things which thou hast been taught, knowing of whom thou hast heard them. That was Paul telling Timothy. Paul's written down what he told Timothy so that we have it. 
So we need to continue in those things. And we need to earnestly contend for it. We will fight on every issue that's contrary to the Word of God. We love peace. And we will live peaceably as as much as lieth in us with all men. But we will fight when it comes to doctrine and truth in our practice. We must separate, separate, and separate. Romans 16, 17, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. Mark them and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own bellies. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. God has not called us to martyrdom like our fathers, but He's called us to a living sacrifice. Let us every day, every day, today, prove what is that holy and acceptable and perfect will of God in our personal, family, professional lives so that it matches up with everything we preach from this pulpit. Our lives must adorn and defend the truth individually and corporately. Paul told Titus, to teach those things which become sound doctrine. And then he went after the aged men, the aged women, the young women, the young men, ministers, and servants. Six categories. And then he said at the end of that second chapter of Titus, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. That is how we fight it. We're going to preach it in this pulpit. Our website is going to spread it abroad as a beacon of light and hope for those scattered sheep that are out there that are wondering if there's any true worship left on earth. There's a man writing me right now in Florida. And uh, Zach, you may tell your wife, a few miles from Jacksonville, on the south side of Jacksonville, she was curious to know. He doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know where to go. We want to try to help them. Let's see the challenge and seize the opportunity of being faithful for God in a God-forsaken generation. When I say God-forsaken, I appeal to Amos chapter 8 and other places where God said, I will bring the famine. It's a God-forsaken generation that we live in, but He has not forsaken us. But let's look at it as an opportunity and a challenge and seize it. God has chosen us to be a Moses, a Joshua and a Caleb. He's chosen us to be a Noah. He's chosen us to be a Paul. He's chosen us to be a Jeremiah. Let's fulfill the charge he's given us. My brethren, are you sighing for the abominations that are done in the name of Christianity throughout the earth? Are you stirred and are you angered? The angel with the inkhorn will mark those and they'll be preserved in the judgment that falls. Let's read those passages and believe them. Are you sighing? Are you grieved? Are you stirred? And are you angered by all the compromise and pollution of our Lord's religion? Don't be discouraged. Let's encourage one another to hold fast our profession of faith. That's what Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 tells us why we have a church. Let us hold fast our profession. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And let's exhort one another daily while it is called today. His second coming is coming soon. That warning was given to them in light of the coming in 70 A.D., but the second coming is soon. 
Count it a blessing that you were chosen for these times. Give thanks to God always for having shown us the truth, lest we be blinded in His righteous judgment for presuming that we're special or that we found it by our own efforts. For we are nothing without His grace. And without His grace, we shall be nothing and we shall see nothing. We'll be as blind as the rest without His blessing. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. This is your pastor's conviction from recent days of reflection, knowing that I shall give an account for this church to Him shortly. We shall never move. I have sworn and I will perform. And I have taken the commandments of God as my heritage forever, and I hope that you all have taken them with me. Amen. I hope that you'll find that your safe place in your shield. I hope that you know that you'll never be ashamed with your enemies. I hope you know that God is going to cast them all out like dross. I hope you'll remember Psalm 119, 105 through 120. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word, preserve our church, and raise up some mighty men to continue preaching it until the Lord comes. Amen.